Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Terrell. Welcome back to Tranos and the Lived Experience. This is the show that definitely will not be presidential, unseasoned-ass Thanksgiving dinner. My name is Camrayne Eileen Jarrell, also known as Tranos. Say that shit with your whole chest, or I'll turn this car around and Christmas is fucking canceled. Today's episode is entitled, Trans Whiteness is Indeed Toxic. Now, before we get into the topic of the show today, I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by the meeting of music and marijuana. Today's strain is Rainbow Kush. I thought I would take a little stab at that. Um, It's supposed to be very uplifting in times of stress and ADHD and PTSD, which I suffer from all of those things. Um, And today's song is also brought to you by the band Third Strike. It is called All Lies. Cool story that I'll probably tell in another episode. Um, Me and several of the band members went and got tattooed together 21 years ago. I still have a tattoo of this band on my arm, and I don't feel ashamed of it. Suck my dick if you if you think that's funny. So let's get into it. I just got back um, from a beautiful, beautiful trip uh, to Denver, Colorado. I was there for my producer's wedding. B, shout out to B and Haley. The um, wedding was amazing. It was top queer experience of the year for me. Um, it was just a beautiful um, situation to be in, beautiful city to visit. Uh, beautiful people, uh, lots of dispensaries, lots of marijuana. It was a fun time. But it also like uh, kind of triggered some things in me upon my return. I realized just how problematic trans white people in my region are as compared to trans people just about anywhere else. Now, I'm pretty sure that that's like relative to like where you live. You might experience the same things at me. But we're going to talk about my experience because this is called Tranos and the Lived Experience. And I'm fucking Tranos. So a lot of the episodes I've been getting on people, I've I've, uh, addressed the black community. I've addressed black queer people. I've addressed uh, politicians. I've addressed police. I've addressed cis white people, trans white people. It's your fucking turn. You're up to bat. So trans whiteness is indeed fucking toxic uh, at times. Like now, now, don't take it as a generalized statement where I'm saying all white people because I'm getting ready to hear somebody be like, not all white trans people. And I'm going to say like, well, every trans person that I've met so far in Rochester, give or take a handful, has been problematic to say the least. I started my push into advocacy strictly based on necessity. It wasn't some dream that I had. It wasn't some like um, goal I wanted to fulfill. I stepped into uh, the trans community um, about seven years ago still being a trans person my entire life. I didn't interact with the trans community until about seven years ago. And my introduction into the trans community was brought on by white trans women. And 
Let's get a little bit into that uh, situation. I was asked by a coalition. I'm not going to name them, even though I should and fucking embarrass them. But I've already done that several times. Um, I'm just going to say this person's first name. Hi, Shauna. Um, so I was brought in to do a Women's Day speech uh, for um, this coalition of people. And they asked me to come in and do the speech. Um not valuing my voice, not valuing my expertise or the fact that I was an actual paid public speaker at the time. So they kind of just expected me to come in and do the event for free. First off, um, it was not within the city limits. I had to drive almost an hour away to do this thing. Well, into the heart of like Trump country and like problematic all white country. I had to drive there. When I got there, I was um, introduced to everyone else. I seemed to be the only person of color who was invited uh, red flags immediately I felt like oh so I'm being tokenized not only am I being tokenized I'm not going to be paid for what I'm doing because nobody wants to talk to me about that every time I bring it up I'm accused of being aggressive or wanting too much or being told that it's a progression that takes time like I haven't been involved in public speaking for years at that point um I'm then told, like, uh, walked through by Shauna about certain things that I shouldn't touch on where we were. I shouldn't talk about Trump at all was one of the things that I was told. I wasn't to mention his name at all. Um, they told me that the microphones would be in working order, that there would be a certain amount of people who would be listening there. There was going to be a lot of people. They told us that we would be on, like, a grandstand or something like that, and we'd be talking. So it came time for me to speak, which came directly from the heart. I don't, I don't necessarily write down speeches. I feel like having real conversations, regardless of the medium, uh, who cares about the fact that there's a microphone in front of me. Uh, I'm a skilled professional wrestler who has a background in interactions with fans over a 22-year span. So I'm able to have conversations in spaces where people normally wouldn't be able to have them. So I get up on the stage. The microphone's not cued for me there's a lot of echo there's no one really like making sure that the sound is good so that i'll be heard there's lots of whistling and wind going on um the number of people that i was told was definitely not what was there not to mention the fact that like literally i was like the only black person for miles um the the community that i was looking to help impact wasn't present to be in agreement with what I was saying or to uh, be in opposition to what I was saying. They just weren't there. And that's the situation that happens most of the time with trans white activists in the Rochester area. Not only do they suffer from fatigue for some reason, which is a privilege that's not allowed to any other trans person in Rochester. Like trans people of color don't have that luxury. We don't get to get fatigued during this fight because this fight is about our very existence and we don't have a privilege to hide behind. At the end of the day, what I'm saying is, White trans people in the Rochester area have a habit of falling back on their privilege whenever it suits them. They're not completely involved in a fight. Anything that could um, uh, derail um, their activism is minute compared to the lives of trans people and the things that they have to go through. We have to often lose family members, lose housing, lose jobs, um, ability to like take care of ourselves, uh, mental health things that are happening. And... Something as small as like a new relationship or a, a, a promotion at a job can cause a white trans person to take leave from their advocacy. That is indeed privilege. That is indeed the exorcism of white privilege. And when we um, call white people out for those kind of things, they get highly upset like 
they're uh, exempt from being called out on racism because they're trans. And I'm here to tell you during this episode that that is not the fucking truth. And I'm not going to let that slide. Other situations that have happened since I come back. Like once again, I said Denver was beautiful. It was a great excursion for me. It was like the first time that I had left New York since I transitioned. It's the first time that I've left this state in seven years. First time I felt safe enough to do so. I was able to sit and talk with other activists. I was able to sit and talk to other non-binary and trans people about the activism that was going on in Denver. I was able to see how their community interacted with each other. I was able to see like that there was like a camaraderie and a, and a, a commonality in the fight that doesn't happen here. Often, we get a lot of the trendy lip service advocates in Rochester. I know the rest of you are feeling it. And um, to all my black queer listeners, you'll feel this the most. During the Black Lives Matter movement in the beginning of COVID, there was this certain this sudden rush of white trans people in particular to fill these spaces and speak on our behalf. They wanted to uplift us or empower us, as they put it. I get that. I, I get that there's that rush and need to do those things. But how performative was it? Because here we are less than 18 months later, and most of them are fatigued. Most of them have taken leave from the, the duties that they chose to pick up. Most of them have tried in some capacity to silence most of you. I know a lot of you are tired and don't want to have to bring up the situations in which that happens, and that's why I'm here. Another thing that happened um, when I came back, I came back and like, I'm disabled. I'm disabled. I have synesthesia, I have complex PTSD, from years and years and years of dysphoria and uh, and abuse in foster care and neglect when I was living with my father and, and, and abusive, just abusive things happening to me my entire life. That requires me to have a service animal, which I found that the access is close to because of my blackness. No fucking surprise there. It's also compounded by my transness. No fucking surprise there. So I reached out to a fellow trans person, um, a non-black trans person, to ask a couple of questions about what was going on, um, about if they had any information to point me in the right direction. Seeing as though I have been looking for a service animal for a number of years now. I was diagnosed years ago. I was then um, given a prescription that I might want to look into getting a service animal. Um to which the, with this uh, prescription from this provider, they didn't really offer me the kind of things that they would offer a white person. They didn't show me a direction and they didn't tell me which way to go. They didn't have any information for me regarding how I would go about doing this. They know that I'm lower income because I am not only black, I am trans and it is the, the middle of a pandemic. Um, so it was just kind of hard to navigate all those things. Um, so I reached out to uh, what I thought was a fellow trans person uh, sibling in the cause, which is another thing I'm going to get to in the future um, of this conversation. But I reached out to this person to ask simple questions. I asked like, hey, do you have any leads on any places that might um, have programs that will help non-veteran trans people or non-veteran disabled people with finding um, a way to get service animals or be in, put into a program that might help with service animals? 
I was then asked a bunch of questions that I thought, okay, well, I guess those questions are relevant, so I'm going to answer some of them. There's a lot of assumptions that I've never had, like a service animal. Before I did have a service animal when I was younger, um, they died. I wasn't able to afford another one. Um, I had the dog for a number of years. It, um, it was just a lot of assumption going on. And um, f because I um, had to cut off ties with this person, I'm not going to say their name. They know who the fuck they are. They'll most likely listen to this episode for the first time. This will be the, the actual first time they actually try to, air quotes, support the movement that I'm like pushing for on my podcast. It'll probably be the first time that they're listening to it, and they'll be listening to it to make sure that um, their name's not said, that they're not embarrassed for what they did. Now, this person doesn't have a, a cool history with me. I've already had to check them one time about some things that they've done in the past that I just kind of didn't appreciate. First thing, white trans people. If you have a question that requires you to seek out a singular ethnic person to generalize an answer to make you feel safe, fuck off. So I got some weird question about like a, a situation that, well, uh, do you think this is racist was pretty much the gist of the question. And I'm like, well, you can't ask me if this thing is racist and offensive to the person that you're talking about, because I can't speak for all black people. I also can't like give you a pass for if you offended them. If they stated that you offended them and that's something that you said felt racist to them, then you need to take inventory of that and not do it again. It's pretty much where I am. But what they were looking for was they were looking for an instance in which they would be like coddled or be told that what they did was right. So then it absolves them of any wrongdoing because there's nothing more fear. Uh, nothing causes more fear in a white trans person in Rochester than being perceived as racist, not the actual act of racism. They're not afraid to do something that's borderline racist. They're afraid to be caught in 4K as a racist. So they word themselves really carefully. They say things really carefully. And they also like, they practice gaslighting. So like when I said this, uh, there was no response at all. I didn't hear from this person for months. So reaching out to this person, I already had some trepidations because like this person literally took like the education that I gave them and just kind of like left it on red. So I figured, okay, I'm going to wipe that slate clean in my mind because I need this information to help myself because I need a service animal. Like I'm at the point in my um, mental stability where it is a, it is a given. I have to have a service animal um, to, to get around, to navigate the world, uh, to curb loneliness um, the effects of my suicidal ideation to get me out of the house when I need to be out of the house to get me to go and take care of something, focus on something that's not just my trauma. So I call this person, I message them and I'm like, Hey, like, do you have any information for me regarding like any programs that might be helpful? They um, then suggested a program um, not taking into account anything that they know about me. The fact that I'm a low income person who lost their job during COVID and from discrimination and sickness, um, that I live in New York state and I don't feel safe outside of that bubble, which most black trans people from Rochester wouldn't feel safe outside of that bubble. It's bad enough to things that we have to deal with here. So imagine someone suggesting that you go to Pennsylvania. Like they just suggested a program that didn't have a program for low income people. They also like, were like, Oh, it'll only cost like $7,000. Like a trans person 
with all those things that I just stated would have seven thousand dollars just roaming around in the middle of a pandemic where they lost their job and they're barely making ends meet by doing things like podcasts and public speaking in spaces where people don't want where I'm not welcome because of my black transness. So it's just it was just kind of like, okay, so this person's really not listening to what I have to say. They're only seeing that their own perspective is the way that things would go. They're suggesting a thing that they would do um, when they're not low income, downtrodden, unemployed or any of those other things uh, because there's a safety net for them. They didn't take those things into consideration. Okay, I'm all right. So they were like, what do you think about this? And I was like, well, it looks here after reading over the information, it looks like they don't have the program that I was asking for. Um, and it's in Pennsylvania, which is a little bit far away and a little bit outside of my safety realm. I was looking for something more inside of New York State and also a program that specifically helps non-veteran low-income people with attaining service animals that they are in dire need of, which is another episode that we will get into about the accessibility of AIDS um, for disabled people of color and queerness. It is almost impossible in almost every realm to get those things done. So when I stated that those things weren't apparent and weren't there, not like being like nasty or anything like that, but like being like, oh, I, I read the article that you sent me. I read the page that you sent me and it doesn't seem to have any of the criteria that I asked for. I was then told that they feel like they have to walk on eggshells every time they talk to me. Now, if that's not like falling back into white problematics it, immediately upon feeling uncomfortable about what you did or what you said, it, nothing is like that's a tactic that's used by white trans people when they overcross when they cross a line all the fucking time, all the fucking time. If it's not them throwing money at a problem that they caused, if it's not them like uh, uh, trying to backtrack to make you the, the villain in the situation. It's stupid ass comments like that. First off, like we haven't talked to each other in months since I had to correct you for trying to tokenize me, which I did with grace and humility when I didn't have to. I could have fucking cussed you out. I didn't. I gave you an education on about how tokenism works and how you can't tokenize a singular black person, most likely your only black friend, to speak for all black people to suit you. And you didn't even respond, so there wasn't even a conversation. So the fact that you feel like you have to walk around on eggshells about me is less about my attitude and less about gratitude and more about you tapping into white supremacy whenever you feel like it feeling uncomfortable and resorting back to the, the, the base level of who you are toxic. Cause for all the lip service, most trans white people in Rochester give only a small majority of them are about that action. Very small majority of them. You'll see them in everything that we, that happens when it comes to queer people here, you're going to see a lot of them trans day of remembrance is coming up pretty soon. And there's going to be a lot of problematic ass white people there who won't do a goddamn thing for brown and black queer people all year long, but will march to the family dollar and get a candle and Kleenex to cry in public. 
or you'll hear all this lip service on post about activism and being out in the streets and wanting to uplift brown people and then just abandoning any project the moment it's inconvenient for you. The moment it feels like work has to be done. But when the work is achieved and victory comes, you the first person in line to push everybody else out the way to bask in the victory that you had no part in. The, the fight you had no part in. You put your names in the hats. You, you collected a title and then you left. Or people stopped saying Black Lives Matter on Facebook and you saw that the trend was dying and you pulled the eject button. That happens a lot. Now, I'm going to say this. Let me take, let me, first off, let's, let's take a little break because that's a lot for you to take in. So, we're going to take a little break. You know what we do. I'm about to hit this rainbow cush and you're going to be an adult about it. So, if you hear coughing and shit like that, welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience where I have to smoke weed to get through the trauma of these conversations. Cheers, nigga. Let's go. So there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings, right? A lot of, oh, Cameron's calling us out and she's generalizing all of us. Nope. I want to remind you that I stated in the beginning of this conversation that I'm not talking about all white trans people. And the ones that know I'm not talking about white trans people won't say anything because hit only hit dogs holler. Only hit dogs holler. If you feel like this conversation that we're having is about you, it most likely is. If you feel like vitriol is being aimed at you for being problematic, congratulations, you you get it. More often than not, when it comes to these movements, it's just white trans people at certain points of time taking up space, collecting um, accessorized black friends, and talking out of turn. When they don't get what they want, they disappear. When it takes too long to achieve a goal, they quit. I know you mad about it. I know you mad about me saying it all out, but prove me out. Prove that I'm a fucking liar. Where's the lie in anything that I just said? So back to this uh, air quotes, friend. So I wanted to know what they meant by... They have to walk on eggshells all the time because I wanted to hear an instance in which I caused this pain on them. So I asked, can you tell me an instance where you and me had a conversation where you felt like you had to walk on eggshells? And what I got was that it just sounded like I was unappreciative of the help that they offered. You didn't offer any help. You didn't listen to me. You didn't take into account who I was. Any of those things. Those are things that normally a friend would do. And I thought that like stating that, oh, this thing doesn't match up with what I asked about. Or maybe we can look into something else. You thought that was their, your cue to walk on eggshells? Mind you, it's through a text. So I wasn't like yelling. There was no caps. I didn't curse. I literally stated that the, the, none of those things were there. And that it's been really hard for me as a trans woman of color to try to find this thing because it's been four fucking years and you took that as a personal assault on you. So now you walk on eggshells. My question is, 
How is that my fault? How is your perception of someone else's like plight and your uncomfortability with it? Because you will never experience that. How is that my fault? And to sec- to follow up, like just the in- the speed in which some people, especially white trans people, will dismiss you is ridiculous when compared to how every time they get in an argument with somebody about trans rights, they bring up black trans women. That's across the board. That's black. That that's white trans men and and white trans women and white non-binary people. Y'all go out of y'all way to bring us up in these conversations where you arguing with your friends about your autonomy and 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 why it's so hard to be trans. You will bring us up with the quickness, but you aren't doing anything to stop it either. You aren't stepping up to do those things. And then when when you're asked to, you either bail. Or you find some way to demonize or villainize the person who's in the most need. I make, like, make it make sense to me. Like we spoke to about a couple, like we spoke about it a couple months back in the episode. How like I was looking to uh, move into a tiny home. And that like a white trans woman lied about being trans bashed in the white com- trans community showed this sign of solidarity around her that was uncanny. But I get messages from white trans men named Hev who accused me of somehow trying to con everybody while being conned by this white trans woman. And when I confronted them about it, like, wait a minute. So you're saying that because I asked for help that it seems fishy. But this white woman this white trans woman who stalked children, called them racist names, got beat up and then screamed trans attack. Nobody asked her any of this shit. She didn't get an inquisition. She didn't get walked through this shit. More often than not, like while navigating your own transness, you forget to navigate your bias and racism. That's part of you. You're white. Period. I know it's going to make a lot of people upset and they're like, oh, you're attacking white trans people. Guess what? You need it. You need it. We don't talk about the the racism and massage noir and LGBTQ spaces nearly enough because every time we bring up racism, y'all dismiss it based upon your intersectionality of also being queer. You are not exempt from being a racist person because you are gay. Period. Oh, you need proof? You need proof? Okay, here's some proof. Trans rights and pride would not exist without brown and black trans people. Yet and still, here we are in 2021, more than 50, 60 plus years later, by the way, and trans brown and black people are still being silenced by white queer people. We still are at the mercy of white queer people. We still have to move around in circles with white queer people who don't want to see us, who refuse to see color, who think they know about our struggles just because they share an intersectionality. We, we don't we don't share intersectionality beyond being queer. 
There's a history of us stepping up for y'all. There's a history of us bringing things to the table. We built the fucking table, but we constantly got to ask you for a seat at it. And you bring it up in conversation at the most droll times. Only to like fucking fall back into your own biases and forget about the struggle and the fight. Almost every victory that has come for queer people, all of them were started by trans brown and black people we don't talk about your appropriation we don't talk about how you erase us from the history we don't talk about how you don't safeguard us we don't talk about any of that shit and anytime we do we're aggressive anytime we call y'all on y'all bullshit we're race baiting the fact that there are trans republicans for trump is my proof the fact that there are gays for Trump is my proof. You would align yourself with someone who's destroying you as long as you are not destroyed first. Because you see that as some kind of privilege. And that's across the board. That's gay, straight, lesbian, trans, non-binary. Most white queer people have a history of problematics when it comes to race. Three quarters of white America doesn't have a single black friend. They only get black friends at times of strife for brown people to alleviate their guilt. Oh, am I lying? You think I'm lying? Go look at your friends list. If you can count how many black people you have as friends on one hand, maybe ask yourself why. Is it proximity? Could it be a fear? Could it be discomfort, guilt, or straight up racism? Look at your circle. Most brown and, and, and black people and minorities across the board find that to enrich one's life one must be surrounded by the diverse. White people don't seem to think that way, specifically who I'm talking about, white trans people. How can you move throughout your entire day ignoring the plight of everyone else? How's that work? I'm gonna let you uh, ponder that while I take another hit of this fucking rainbow kush. Cause I'm on a roll, bitch. Shout out to B and Haley. Your ceremony was not only uplifting to me, your, your friendships not only mean the world to me, but the perspective that I was given on that trip. I was only gone for five days. And in that five days, I managed to get refreshed to take a, a, a step back and was able to like look at the situation that I was in and understand it more and that is priceless that's a priceless experience it made me ponder like leaving Rochester but I tell myself because my mom used to say things like this all the time my mom used to say there is no land of milk and honey wherever you go you take you with you 
on a daily basis, I have to combat the things that I might find as biases or prejudices within me. I have to do that on a daily basis. That is the work that we're supposed to do because it's innate. It's, it's built into me. It's a defense mechanism. I have to be able to know when I'm in the wrong and when I might be uh, thinking from a place of bias or coming from a place of hurt or harm because it'll immediately be visited on me the moment I question someone else's behavior. These two situations that I told you about the 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 service animal and like the GoFundMe for my home, which I never got, by the way, I saved up money to buy this bus. And I was told by 50, 60 white trans people how they were going to be there. And they were going to help. And every step of the way was going to be cool and all this other shit. And you're all gone. But if I call you out for it. Then I'm being selfish and not thinking about what you might be going through. But here's the thing. You offered these things and then disappeared. I don't offer things that I can't help you with. I don't offer aid when I can't. Because in doing so, like I'm not getting any clout. I'm not getting cookie points for being a genuine person. And most of the time, my motives are based in love and light. So when someone asks me to do something, I do it. When someone's asked me to stand by them, I do it. If I feel that something is wrong, I step up. But when it comes to racism, white trans people are the exact same as cis white people. Afraid of conflict. More scared of the word racism than the actions of racist. Everybody's worried about being fucking canceled. Guess what? Canceling is not real. Accountability is. If you do something shitty that you had to hide from the world's view and somebody shows it to the world... You didn't get canceled. Your bullshit behavior got exposed and now accountability is coming down the pipe. Maybe if you didn't like live this subterfuge bullshit secondary life of yours where you walk around here being phony and fake all the time, maybe you would be more comfortable with with, with what comes with that. You would have went a different route. Than to achieve this goal that makes you look like a nice person, that gets you a good job, that gets you uh, a a circle of friends who believe you're this good person. All the while, you're being like a dastardly piece of shit to anyone who's a darker hue than you. I'm sure, I'm sure like, um, I'm sure like the, the, the problematic white trans men and women of Rochester are now taking an inventory of the things they did. But also, more than that, what they're going to do with that inventory is hide it. You're not going to do any actual root work. No shadow work will come from anything that I say. What will come, though, is a silencing of me. I will be called things that aren't true. I will be accused of being argumentative. I will be accused of being aggressive. I will be accused of so many weird tropes that we give to black women. But y'all ain't gonna do shit about your behavior. 
it's gonna it's gonna hide you're gonna hide it under the surface until the next black person calls you out for something stupid and then it'll bubble up again and then we'll go through the process again of you hiding who you really are instead of facing it you're more afraid of being a racist than i am of interacting with one I have to, at some point during my day, interact with a racist person. I have to, at some point during my day, deal with a misogynist. I have to, at some point in my day, deal with a transphobe. I have to, at some point in my day, deal with someone who has a homophobia. I have to deal with those things. I have to deal with those things on a daily basis. And, and I, I am less afraid of standing in the face of those things than you are of looking in a mirror. Food for thought, dickhead. With that being said, the synopsis. At times, more often than not, white transness is as much of a gatekeep as cis whiteness. It is indeed, at times, toxic. It is organizationally toxic. It is systemically toxic. It is personally toxic it is socially toxic and it is the poison that kills off movements every three years do the math take your time every three years look back every three years y'all take a break from the movement and you unlearn all the things that you crammed to like spout off in circles of brown people when you had the chance to be around them. It disappears, it dissipates, becomes ether. Hmm. I'm sure I'm not the first person to call you out on it. I'm just the first person to do it over a microphone. This has been Tranos and the lived experience. The show that stays on your ass. White trans people, this week it was your turn. Maybe next week it will be too. My name is Cambrayeen Eileen Maharet Jarrell, a.k.a. Tranos, also known as Mistress Move Around, the Lord of, of Block Keto, and the former queen of Screw Jitsu. Peace, nigga.